I'm joined by uh, Westbrook Global Energy's uh, research director, Yvonne Telford. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Uh, how are you enjoying the show so far? So far, it's been really good. It's been really busy. Um, a lot of us have day jobs to do on top of uh, coming out and enjoying and, and milling about and meeting people. And the conference has been has been excellent as well. So we were talking. You were saying like there's a good energy about there, there's, this one. Right? There feels a real buzz. It really does feel a real buzz about the place, which you know I think is is surprising given some of the sentiment and that we have in the industry and the challenges the UK's got at the moment. Well, exactly. So I've heard a lot from people about the optimism they're hearing around. I wanted to ask you, you know, are you seeing that optimism reflected in some of the North Sea upstream things that you're covering? Well, I guess it depends where we're, where we're looking at. I think if we're looking at perhaps start with where the challenges have been over the last sort of 10, 12 years, you know, if you think 12 years ago was 2012 and we were riding the high of a, a very high oil and gas price, costs were out of control unfortunately but everybody was busy there was a lot of activity globally and then they had an oil price crash everybody had to restock on the cost management piece globally things were cut and then just as we started to recover again we've had covid you know we had cautious optimism we've had covid uh, and then we've had sort of the the kind of the, the effect of ukraine and so for the backdrop i think it's very important that like the the, the rest of the world is kind of getting after oil and gas and the rest of the world is also getting after renewables you know so although we have a ramp up and very ambitious targets for wind for example in the uk which is great and very optimistic we have to caveat that with the rest of of europe has got its own renewables targets and it's looking to ramp up and china has just overtaken the uk in terms of being the largest wind power generator with commitments to projects etc in the world so that's happening in the renewables. The oil and gas sector globally is, is getting after projects. But in the UK, we're challenged with, you know, something, the sentiment that has been there from the last sort of full year for the oil and gas companies has been obviously the EPL and the political uncertainty. And that is impacting investment and it's impacting, you know, the progression of new field developments in the UK, which are absolutely crucial for our you know, maintaining our domestic production. And we've heard that from, you know, very well um, versed from NSTA and from all of all of all of OE UK in terms of, you know, that rhetoric around we are a net importer of oil and gas. We have been for many years, but we have, unlike the rest of Europe, we have uh, the exception of Norway, a very good domestic production um, fallback. And we should try and keep that going for as long as possible to just maintain our way and our energy security and diversity of supply during the energy transition, you know, and, and that in itself is, is going to be quite a challenge to get there. Yeah, I mean, if there's one thing that I've heard in all the sessions I've been in, it's this stability. Every, every single person, I think, has said they're pleading for some kind of stability. You know, do you think that's being heard? Do you think that's being listened to? <laughs> Well, um, you would like to think so. Yeah. And again, I think we're hearing the right words from the UK government institute. Yeah, we, we've had you know Scottish Energy Minister, we've had uh, Minister Graham Stewart here as well this week. That's a good showing. It's the yeah. right words. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Um, and to be fair, I think you know, I think ultimately sense will prevail. You know, ultimately based on the fact that we are in control of our own destiny, our, our own domestic production, we can control our emissions, we can keep 
um, and, and as, as a country, it is probably great that the oil and gas sector is under so much um, scrutiny to actually deliver and not greenwash anymore. Just really get after those emissions targets, you know, deliver them. You know, the focus on bringing forward electrification. That means that we're on target to improve our emissions. And ultimately, in my opinion, it should be better to be in control of our emissions and deliver production, albeit not enough, but you know, not enough to fill the gap. We'll never, we're always going to be a net importer, but if we can reduce the level of imports through managed domestic production, it's surely better than bringing it in from Australia, Qatar, the US of A, where the emissions are much larger, and that's even excluding the fact that the emissions from the target from the transportation side of it you mentioned electrification there i think that's another one that a lot of sessions have been on i'm hearing a lot of chat about it feels like the industry is kind of taking it seriously and really stepping up is that something that you're seeing yes yes there are challenges around it you know without a doubt it's um you know it's technically challenging but it's been done and been done very successfully over in norway so you know we can learn from from our colleagues over the seas but it does require a lot of capital. Um, and it also requires a, a lot of confidence with regards to, if you're going to invest, for example, a billion pounds, a billion dollars on an electrification cable to power one or more offshore hubs. And by that, I mean the offshore platforms, the installations. You need to know that you're basically going to get return for your investment, that those hub lives are going to be sufficiently long to benefit from the investment that you're making to power it from with a power from shore cable. So, you know, there are therefore, you know, we are in an aging, aging sort of infrastructure environment. And therefore the number of hubs that really have that longevity are, are kind of few and far between. We've got the West of Shetland hubs and we have a certain number of, of Central North Sea hubs. And but to be fair, those are the ones which are being addressed with the Central North Sea Electrification yeah, Project, Captain, Killeen, and the West of Shetlands with Equinor and um, BP. Sorry. <laughs> of do, you, course. do you see enough of that strategic thinking then around those? Because I know you were you were sort of speaking on a panel like last week about the amount of hubs that we might have left in, in the Southern North Sea and things, and that you know those the, the suitable candidates are maybe dwindling a little bit, and there needs to be a lot of kind of coming together and thought around what's actually going to happen to them and you know flexible COP dates we've got so many moving parts here that it feels like a lot of people could potentially run in different directions you know but potentially and this is where like joined up thinking and getting in the right room and that dreaded C word collaboration ultimate has to be delivered but but we're actually seeing it harbour leading the CNSE project you know and although you know it has been mentioned that that's not without its challenges you we as an industry have as individual companies delivered and solved so many problems, you know, with the sector that you do hope that now, because time is of the essence, there aren't so many companies involved. You know, we are talking about a few long life hubs, you know, which, so therefore a fewer, a fewer sort of data, a fewer collection of companies to talk to each other, to get in the room and deliver it. So you, it's been done in the past. There's been other projects, you know, um, Back in the 90s, I remember Shell and BP working very, very closely on the Shearwater and with Total, or whatever it was called back in the day. But, you know, Total, um, Shell, BP, they were the operators of the HPHT fields, Elgin, Shearwater, ETAP. Yes. And they collaborated very successfully in the early days on how to deliver HPHT fields, the challenges, and they shared knowledge. 
we have a history. They have talked to each other before, helped each other before, and I think they can do it again. That's reassuring. I hope so, so. <laughs> you know, do you think this is this is the accelerating the energy transition is our theme, obviously, for this event. You know, final question: Do you do you see that happening? Are you kind of reassured by what you're hearing this week? Yeah, I think so. There is a level of uncertainty. It's a it's a it's a moving ball. But over the last sort of twelve years, if you look at how how much that rhetoric has changed and our our focus and where we've been on the energy trilemma over the last sort of twelve years, it has changed and 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 we've done full circle and going around the circle again. Yes, we've been there long enough that I think we know where we're going. We know what we've got to deliver. We've got the NSTD, the North Sea Transition Deal, to deliver against, which is really important. And therefore, companies which maybe can't deliver electrification are looking at those marginal gains to reduce their emissions to, to you know, across the board with flaring, um, etc. And then the electrification, you know, I think the right companies are working to deliver the right projects. And then there's wins for them as well. If, if, for example, BP and Equinor can electrify the west of Shetland, it could unlock the potential of, you know, not just Rosebank, not just Campbell, but potentially Clare South, which is about 300 million barrels of oil equivalent, similar size to Rosebank, to put it in perspective. And, um, you know, even a Foynevin redevelopment potentially, which, you know, it's, it's got to be great for the sector. There's still plenty to be excited about then. There is a lot, but we've just, Got to push through, what the, the, the push through the political uncertainty in the near term, and hopefully, you know, stick to the message. And uh, yeah, hopefully, in uh, three years, we'll be sitting in a brighter place. Great. Well, thanks so much, Yvonne, oh, for joining thank us. Thank you. And uh, thanks to you for watching and for listening. Uh, join us for some more updates from the show floor here after Europe. Uh, I've been Andrew Dykes, and this has been Energy Voice Outlines. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.